You're listening to Blaze, the go-to podcast for trailblazing entrepreneurs and anyone passionate about doing business differently. My name is Megan, and together with my guests, I'm pulling back the curtain to bring you the conversations that normally happen behind closed doors. We're sharing practical tips, no BS advice, and inspiring stories to remind you that no matter where you are on your business journey, you're not in this alone. Welcome to our community. Welcome to the Blaze Podcast. Hello and welcome back to the show. I'm so excited you're here for today's episode. You could hear it in my voice. I'm like grinning as I record this because it's such an important conversation and it's something that I personally get really excited about and that is wealth building. And we're here again with Gina Knox, who is a financial coach for entrepreneurs. If you missed last week's episode, this is the second part of a two-part episode. So go back and listen to last week's episode, number 16, where we talk all about business finance 101. So how to manage your cash flow, start saving in your business and your personal life, how to pay yourself a regular salary, all the basics that you need to know before diving into today's topic, which is, like I said, building long-term wealth. And specifically, we're talking about how to invest in the stock market. And if you hear that and you feel kind of like, turned off or intimidated in any way, then please stick around because this conversation is even more so important for you, especially. We are going to break down step-by-step exactly what you need to get started investing, the biggest mistakes and misconceptions around investing, and how to reframe your mindset around this as well. Because unfortunately, there's a lot of misinformation out there around this topic. And Even if you find good information, a lot of times it can feel really inaccessible. There's a lot of jargon around investing and and stocks and the market in general. So today we are breaking down those barriers and just having a super easy to understand, super tactical conversation about how you can get started because investing is the thing that will make or break your income in the long run and your wealth, like we said. So if you can't tell, I'm super passionate about women building wealth and that's what Gina's gonna show you how to do today. She's breaking down how she made over $37,000 last year in passive income outside of her business. This was not through an evergreen funnel, a digital course. It was not through investing in real estate. It was all essentially without lifting a finger. So if that intrigues you, let's get into today's conversation. Here is my combo with Gina. Gina, thank you so much for coming back onto the show, for joining me a second time. Our first conversation was so good that we just had to do a part two. Happy to be back. Thank you for having me again. So last time we talked all about managing cash flow, setting up the basic finances in your business, how to pay yourself, all that good stuff. So today's conversation is going to be what I've been thinking of kind of like phase two of that. You know, once you've got the basics down, where do we go next? Yeah, Absolutely. Investing and wealth building is absolutely next. Once you have your foundation of, I can save on a variable income, I can build up my business savings accounts, my personal savings accounts, it is then absolutely time to think about investing, building wealth, getting wealth vehicles outside of your business going, and starting to think about your debt strategy, not just from a debt payoff perspective, but also like, how will you be leveraging debt? to build you wealth. And it's kind of the time where like, if we first start by like, we got to get our business finances in check, right? Because the business is where it all starts. If my business finances are a mess, then my finances are a mess. Now it's time to think about 
you personally outside of your business? How can we build you wealth outside of the business? Yeah, it's so important. And we're going to talk today about passive income, but from a bit of a a different example through an investing lens, because passive income is like the ultimate online business buzzword. It's like what everyone wants when they start (laughs) their business, when they're scaling. It's like passive income, passive income, all the things, funnels. And today we're going to talk about how to build that passive income, but like you said, not relying on your business and in a way that it fills your personal life so that, you know, if you want to shift your business, take time off, whatever it is, you're not reliant just on that revenue stream. So let's, yeah, let's start at the beginning. So if someone's just getting started, has never invested a cent before, where do they start? What do they need to know like before getting into the nitty gritty details? Yeah. Well, first of all, we have to know what investing is because especially like in the business space, when we say the word investing, we mean investing in our business. But when we're talking about investing in this episode and in the context of wealth building, we're talking about investing in the stock market. So buying shares of other companies. And as those other companies grow, the value of your shares goes up and therefore your net worth, the assets that you have grow. And obviously there's tons and tons of strategies and we will talk about my point of view on that. But investing in general is like, we need to get you starting investing in the stock market, which can be really daunting if you've never done that before, if no one in your family invests in the stock market, if like that seems like an alien world to you, it can it can feel like light years away, and in reality it's so simple. You just have to kind of understand some core concepts first. So in terms of where to get started, first we just I just want to let you know that like everyone can do this. Everyone can do this. And We just got to open an account and put money in and get started. So we can talk about all the particulars, but that's where I would say is like the really baby first step is to get your brain on board with the fact that this is even available to you, especially if, like I said, you are the first in your family or the first in your circle or the first in your friend group to even consider investing in the stock market. Yeah, it's such a good point. So, you know, to get the mindset piece straight, I think before we get into the details, let's cover like some common misconceptions and myths. I feel like there's so much mythology. (laughs) There's so much misinformation out there. I hear it like literally on a daily basis. Like, you know, investing in stock market is gambling. Oh, I was about to say that one. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that one gets me every time. It's like, you don't know what's going to happen to your money. It's this big like mystery. And I think like, you know, women and and minorities and any type of marginalized community in particular has been, the information has been gatekept. So let's, let's tear down all the barriers. Give us the real tea. It's been gatekept. And also I'm, um, I'm half Mexican. So I have a lot of understanding of the Hispanic community and especially in the Hispanic community, like the, the South American financial institutions are not safe financial institutions for a lot of people. So it's a valid fear, right? A lot of immigrant families, it's like, no, you can't put your money there because you don't know if they're going to take it. Mm -hmm. And it's a totally understandable like fear because it's a real fear. (laughs) Oh my gosh, there's so much to talk about. Let's talk about though, investing is gambling, investing is risky, or what if I lose it all? These are all kind of the same, different permutations of the same core fear. And when someone tells me, oh, but what if investing is like gambling? I know, oh, they just don't understand investing yet. Yeah. That's not a problem. All we have is a knowledge gap. So I'm going to explain investing in the most basic terms. (laughs) When you invest in the stock market, 
what you're doing is you're buying a very, very small percentage of a publicly traded company. So when I buy a stock of Coca-Cola, I am now a 0.000001% owner of the company Coca-Cola, right? I become a shareholder. I, in in Wealthy by Design LLC, is 100% owned by Gina Knox, right? I 100% own my company, but when I buy a share of Coca-Cola, I now own a little bit of Coca-Cola, just like I could sell portions of my company to other people for money. So I think like when we compare it to our businesses, it helps our minds like wrap around what it is that we're doing. And if I sold you, Megan, half of my company, and then next year I double my revenue, you are going to benefit because the company grew and now you're a half owner. Mm -hmm. So when Coca-Cola grows and I'm a shareholder, I benefit because the share price goes up. So I am a beneficiary of the company's growth. So now I want you to think about that, but I want you to multiply it by thousands of companies. When I invest in the stock market, especially when I invest in index funds or mutual funds, which is the only recommended approach that I give my clients, you are becoming partial owners of hundreds of companies. So when those companies go out and grow, and we've been hearing about it in the news, right? Record profits. So these different companies growing, the tech sector growing, the this sector growing, the that sector growing. When I'm an owner of parts of those companies, my wealth goes up with them. So that is all you're doing when you're investing in the stock market. To circle back to, it's like gambling, or it's like, uh, it's very, very risky, or you might lose it all. The reality is, if I took $5,000 and I bought, I don't know, 100 shares of Silicon Valley Bank, that was a bank in California, and I, I took all 5,000 of my dollars and I bought shares of Silicon Valley Bank. Well, Famously, this last year, Silicon Valley Bank went bankrupt. They went under. They failed. <laughs> so yeah, if I would have lost all 5,000 of my dollars because I invested it all into a company that failed. But you didn't do that because you were smart. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like, yeah, inv investing can be like gambling if you put all your money in one company because we don't know. I mean, as much as like, let's use Zoom for, for an example. Zoom is a publicly traded company that I could buy stocks of. And as much as we all use Zoom and we all feel like they're a good company, they could go out of business. We don't really know. So yeah, if I invested all my money in Zoom, I might be gambling. But if I invested $5,000 into 500 separate companies, the reality is that some are going to go up in value and some are going to go down. So if I diversify my risk, I'm most likely going to end up ahead. I'm never going to lose it all. The only way I would lose all my money in the stock market is if the entire economy collapsed. Mm -hmm. But like not just like 2008 economy collapse. I mean like Every company that you can name is now gone off the face of the earth. And in that, in that event, you probably have bigger problems. Yeah. You have bigger problems. Like at that point, the US dollar isn't worth anything. So like we were in a zombie apocalypse kind of situation. So when, when I hear people say, you know, investing is gambling or it's riskier, you could lose it all. I'm like, yeah if you do a strategy where you put all your money in one mm -hmm. bucket, but that's not how most um, seasoned investors invest. 
Yeah, it's so true. And there are so many different types of investing, so many different strategies. So let's break it down because like you said, some of it is riskier than others. So if you give everyone again a recap, you know, for first-time investors, what an index fund or and mutual funds are. For my Canadian friends, ETFs are like the same thing as an index fund. That's just what we call them here. It's a group of stocks. And then also some types of investing to avoid and that may be a little bit riskier because there was a lot of talk, um, you know, about like the trendy investment strategies, whether it's like crypto or like day trading, like you hear all these things thrown around. So like, where do we start? How do we, you know, mitigate that risk and keep things diverse? Yeah. So if we want to think about general risk in investing, there is higher risk activity and lower risk activity. So investing in companies, so investing in equity or stocks is, I would say, actually medium risk. Investing in cryptocurrency or NFTs, probably higher risk (laughs) because the asset itself, the thing that you're buying is more speculative, right? Versus like investing in gold, for example, if I were to buy gold, I want you to think about what are you buying and what is the likelihood that the thing that I'm buying is going to remain valuable. The likelihood that I buy an NFT, a a literal, some pixels on a computer, and it remains valuable is suspect. We don't know. It could be. It absolutely could be, but it absolutely also could not. The likelihood that if I own a portion of Coca-Cola and that remains valuable is much higher because it's an established company. Now, that doesn't mean they're bulletproof. They're not. They could go out of business. We don't know what could happen. But so first of all, there's like difference in risk in terms of the asset that you're buying. Then the higher the diversity, so the more companies you own, the less risk you have. If I have one company, all my money in one company, like we were saying earlier, my risk is higher. My risk of loss is higher. If I have all my money in 5,000 companies, my risk is lower. There's still risk. It's just diversified. So when we talk about index funds or mutual funds or ETFs, I want you to think about Santa's bag of toys for all the children around the world, right? Santa has a sleigh. And there's a big bag on the sleigh and in the, in the bag, there are tons and tons and tons of toys. A mutual fund or an ETF or an index fund is like a bag full of toys and the toys are companies. So it makes it very, very easy for me to diversify my portfolio without me sitting at my computer, spending hours saying, okay, I have $100,000 to invest. I'm going to put $1,000 here and $200 there. And three. It, that would be very time consuming. <laughs> and it would be so hard to be like, okay, if I have $100,000 to invest, should I just split the 100,000 across 500 companies? Or should I say 10,000 to this company and 2,000 to that? Yeah. <laughs> it makes it very complicated when you do it by yourself. So mutual funds, ETFs, index funds, they do it for you. Yeah. They say, hey, Megan, I have a big bag here. It has 500 of the top companies in Canada. You can buy a share of my bag for $100. And within that share, you now own 500 companies. So it kind of does the burden of diversifying for you. Yeah. And they're usually quite cheap. The service fee is very, very low. We're getting very technical. We are. Yeah, we are. We are going to get into the details and we're going to walk you you know, through it step by step if you are newer to this. But I think it's such a good point. And for anyone listening, like there are people out there that's their whole job is to sit down and try to predict what stocks are going to perform well so that you can hand select like individual companies and all that. And they get it wrong. Like time and time again, there's just no way to predict. So if you want to be 
to be safe um, in your investment, you're worried about the risk. Like Gina said, index funds, mutual funds, that's the way to go. And and the thing too is, is there've been countless like statistical analyses of who picks stocks better. Do humans pick stocks better or do computers pick stocks better? Like do, you know, does a financial advisor who's going to hand curate a portfolio for you, is that better in terms of the total dollar amount you're going to have at the end? Or is a boring old mutual fund better? And time and time again, in the long run, like we're talking 10, 20 year time horizons, the mutual funds outperform the people. Yeah. They just do. And so it's like, okay, we have a, we have a product here. I can buy a mutual fund and it's very cheap and it requires none of my time. And I don't have to pay a financial advisor and it's the statistical better option. And yet it's funny. And this comes back to mindset. People still feel like they need a financial advisor because of the fear they have, even though by all counts, something like a mutual fund is a better statistical offer. <laughs> yeah. And you're not paying a service fee to access right. it. Well, you are, you know, sometimes, but very, very low. Very small. Yeah. It's like 0.04% versus 1.5%. Yeah. Which sounds, both of those sound very small, by the way. But it adds up. No, if you're paying a financial advisor 1.5%, it can easily cost you over half a million dollars over the course of 20 years. Yeah. It's insane. Yeah. And let that sink in because what are most people investing for? You know, for retirement, mm -hmm. kids, college, whatever it is, like that, those are big numbers. It adds up yeah. really quickly. Oh, yeah. So what would you say, you know, to the business owner who is like just getting started with this, when is the right time? Because I think another common misconception is maybe that like you need to have a ton of money to get started investing or your yeah. business needs to be making a certain amount. They're like, oh, I'm just going to wait. We talked about this in our last conversation for the consistent income, the 5K month, the 10K yeah. month, 20, whatever it is. When is the right time? What is the very first step? I recommend... And as a gen, I mean, of course, there's wiggle room in this, right? This isn't a hard and fast rule, but this is a good rule of thumb. If you have over 10K saved, we're ready. Mm. That's a great rule of thumb. If you have over 10K saved, you're ready. You don't need to have an extra $100,000 laying around. Because <laughs> we all do, yeah. Right, like <laughs> just the average person, right? With an extra 100K. No, you can get started with as little, and it depends on um, what brokerage firms you start with. And we can talk about that too, but most mutual funds have a minimum investment to start of like anywhere from a thousand dollars to $3,000. So that's why I say 10 K saved is a great place to be like, okay, I think I could be ready. Cause then we could have the three K for the minimum buy-in to begin yeah. and you'll still have cash left. I will say when it comes to entrepreneurs with variable income, right? I want you to have first the skill of managing your cash flow. If you're still at the place where you're like, oh my God, Gina, I am constantly at zero in my business bank account, or I'm constantly stuck in the debt cycle, or I feel like I can never save and keep money, we need to actually attack that problem first. Because if we start investing and you don't have the foundational skill of saving first, we're going to have to take that money out. It's going to be a false start. Yeah. So I do recommend you have a foundational saving skill. And then like, it doesn't matter if you still have credit card debt. It doesn't matter if you have auto debt or any kind of debt, business debt, personal loans. If you have some cash on hand, you are ready to go as long as you have that skill. Um, and I think a lot of people honestly do wait too long 
And then they tell me they wish they'd, they wish they hadn't. Once my clients understand how it works and they see the power of time in the market, they all go, damn, <laughs> damn. It's true. I wish I started five years ago or, or two years ago even. And I think to the point of like, should I make more money first? I have a lot of clients who are at the multiple six, even seven figure level, and they are definitely hundred percent ready to get going, but also they didn't need to wait that long. Yeah. They didn't need to wait until their business was seven figures to start investing. And you don't either. Yeah. Investing is not this thing that's for rich people. Investing is what makes you rich people. Yes. I was just going to say that. I was going to say, you know, a, a misbelief that I used to have was thinking that investing is something you do once you have money and you are wealthy, but investing is actually how you build wealth. And I remember 100%. like I started investing when I was like 18 or 19. Luckily, I thankfully I had parents who talked about that sort of thing. My mom, you know, talked me through it. And my I had older siblings who were also investing and just like small amounts. Like it's not like I had a ton of cash sitting around at 19 years old, but like I worked <laughs> through school. I put a little bit in and like now looking back, I'm like, oh my God, it is so, so satisfying to see over time just by doing nothing. It's just sat there. You know, I add to it when I can, but it was not a huge amount. And just to see like over time, even through like, you know, last couple of years, obviously economically have been a little bit all over the place, but just like long-term, even in the just past like five years, yeah, the growth, I think it was Einstein said compound interest is the eighth wonder of the world. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it's like magic. It's like, we all are chasing this passive income in our businesses, but this is the real, the real magic. You know, you don't have to go and create a course or a product. Well, I was going to say, Speaking of passive income, <laughs> your course is not passive. Real estate is not passive. Literally, there is no other passive income product on earth like investing in the stock market. Even if you have an evergreen funnel and ads and an agency running it, it's like, I tell my clients this. There's maintenance. There's maintenance. There's team costs. There's customer service. There's missed payments. You have to follow up with people. Is that passive? Let alone you have to create the product. Is that passive? Passive means I do nothing. <laughs> That's what we all want, really. Right. And and the thing with investing in the stock market is, again, I'm buying pieces of other companies. And then I like to think about my portfolio. I like to think about all the companies that I own in my portfolio. And then I like to think about all the CEOs of all those companies because I'm a CEO of my company and I work so damn hard to make my company work and I'm passionate about it and I'm incentivized to work hard and I want to keep growing my business. And then I think about all the CEOs in my portfolio and they're just as incentivized. They're just as passionate. They're just as driven to grow their companies. And I'm like, by owning stock in all those companies, I have thousands of CEOs working for me that's passive income. Not owning a rental property and having to deal with tenants and cleaning fees and payments and yeah, maintenance and any other number of things. I get so mad. I'm like, it's not passive. <laughs> it's, you know, it's a great income stream if that's what you want to pursue, but it is not passive. I Every so often I get tempted, you know, I feel like real estate investing has become really hot. That is very very not passive. It can be a lot of hands-on work. And I mean, even the people who do it well, who have management firms, I'm like, but you mm -hmm. still have to manage the management firm. And you have to pay them. And that's cutting into your profits too. And you have to pay yeah. them. Absolutely. And you have to set up an LLC with the, with your, you know, province or your state. You have to like do all the things. 
And like, yeah, maybe you're not working, like sitting at a desk for eight hours a day with a rental property. But when I own, again, shares of thousands of companies, I don't have to, I clicked a button, I set up an account, I put money into the account, and then I could just never log in again. And I would be set. I know that sounds like for people who are not in the investing world, that sounds like illegal. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Where they've been hiding this. I remember when I first learned about investing and like my siblings were telling me about it and I like read a couple books and all this stuff. And I was like, this can't be real. Like it seems like a scam. It is free money, but it totally seems like a scam, but it's legit. We swear. (laughs) But like, but I guess here's the thing. It's like, it seems like a scam and maybe this is a deeper commentary. Oh, I'm ready. But it's how our whole economy works. It's how our entire economy works. Welcome to capitalism. We could argue that capitalism is a scam, but... But you might as well. And no matter where you stand on that issue, you know, no matter what your personal feelings are, you might as well get your money out of the the system we all live in. Yeah. Especially if you are coming from a marginalized community or any kind of like oppressed group, absolutely get yours. Get yours. Yeah. Screw that. Make the CEOs work for you. Literally think about that. Oh, that is so satisfying. Think of all the rich white dudes out there that are working for you to make money for you. If that's not motivation, I don't know what is. They're working so hard for me. I'm like, thank you. Thank you for waking up at seven o'clock in the morning to go to your office and commute because all of your companies are making you go back into the office. Couldn't be me, but thank you. I'm going to open my account right now too. I want to see Um, because it changes every day. I'm going to open my account and I'm going to tell you guys how much those CEOs have earned me this year without me doing anything. This year to date, so between January 1st and today, we're recording this on November 29th, 2023. The CEOs in all their little offices have made me $37,493.70. Thank you. Nice. For nothing. I didn't do anything for that money. Mm -hmm. Now I do have to pay taxes on that. If I sell, if I sell my stock and I, that's what's called realizing the gains, I take the cash, then I would have to pay taxes on the gains. So for me, it's that $37,493.70. And I would be taxed. It depends. I'm sure Canada is similar, but has their own particular rules in the U S if I've owned the stock for more than 12 months, I'm taxed at at long-term capital gains, it's a flat rate. If I've owned the stock for less than 12 months, I'm taxed at my normal income tax rate. Mm. Um, so there is like, I mean, that might be the gotcha. The gotcha is that you still have to pay taxes. But you have to pay taxes anyway. Like you are paying income taxes regardless. Yeah. I don't, yeah, yeah. I'm like, okay, sure. I'll take a free $37,000 yeah. and I'll pay tax on that. Yeah. That's fine. And I mean, <laughs> I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I would estimate this year is close to like between 10 and 20,000 for me on, on my yeah. investments because I started years ago. So it's just been compounding, yeah. but it is. How much time have you spent on your oh, investment portfolio this year? Maybe like four minutes. Like I open the app and I look at it and I transfer money into yeah. it and that's it. Like I, that's yeah. it. I just, I open the app and it's nice. I like, you know, we, we had a little celebration when I hit like the hundred thousand invested and then it just sits there. It's very exciting. It just sits. Yeah. Passive income. 
Yes. And I want to get into the, the details of like the accounts and everything for people who are new to this um, and want to know like the details, like what type of account do you open? We mentioned tax and like tax advantage accounts. Yeah. Here in Canada, we have a magic thing called a tax-free yeah. savings account. So it is 100% tax-free, whereas most tax advantage accounts, you know, like retirement funds and that are usually you pay capital gains when you take the money out, like mm-hmm. Gina said. So do you want to give us like a rundown of like what account do we start with? What are the best yeah. options? Because I think there's just a lot of like basic information that people don't tell you. They're like, oh, start investing. Go buy socks. Yeah. But like, what do we actually do step by step? (laughs) Yes. So (laughs) step number one, you have to find a brokerage firm. A brokerage firm is just a company. I'm going to make it sound really silly. It's a company that has a website that you can click buttons and open an account. And then they give you access to the marketplace right? So just like I have a bank account for my business and a savings account, it's just, I'm opening another account at another firm. Mm -hmm. And these are special firms that are called brokerage firms. In the US, the most popular ones are Vanguard, Fidelity, Charles Schwab, maybe E-Trade. I highly recommend Vanguard. I'm not paid to say that. I wish I was, (laughs) (laughs) but I highly recommend Vanguard because of their customer support and their low fees. But, um, that is like, first you pick uh, a firm and don't spend days picking a firm. Just pick one. It doesn't, it literally doesn't matter. I'm curious in Canada, do you guys have some top firms that you can name off for us? Yeah. I was going to say, I personally will vote for Wealthsimple. I use them in my family and my friends. We all use them. Highly recommend them. I will look into the show notes as well for all the same reasons. Low fee, great customer service. They're marketing is on point. It's like very <laughs> aimed at Gen Z and millennials. I That's love good. their emails. I want to meet their copywriter, but oh yeah, go, go check them out. They're really great. And they have some great like online banking, like low fee yeah. options for business owners too. Okay, cool. So we have some brokerage firms that you can pick from. And I want you to think about like Russian dolls, like nested dolls, right? So the brokerage firm is the, is the company that you have your account at. And then at that company, you're going to open an account or multiple accounts but we're going to start with one. I recommend for entrepreneurs actually, and this may be counterintuitive to what you've heard in the past. I recommend starting with a taxable brokerage account. Taxable brokerage account literally just means there are no incentives. There's no tax incentives for opening this account or contributing to it, but there's also no penalties for taking out your money. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is pay tax on the gains when you decide to sell. The reason I recommend that to start for entrepreneurs is because especially when you're new to investing and you're like, okay, I just need to, I like, I don't really know how this stuff works yet. I just need to figure this stuff out. It's much lower stakes to start with an account that you know you can always take the money out. If like you accidentally contributed too much and you forgot you had a big bill coming up, you can take that money out versus a tax advantaged account. In the US, we have IRAs, SEP IRAs, simple IRAs, Roth IRAs, traditional IRAs. There's so many. It always the acronyms make we have so many. We have so many. Uh, individual 401k, solo 401k. Like, yeah, we have like two. There's a billion. <laughs> yeah, I, that's very nice. I'm jealous. <laughs> so, there are tons of accounts for entrepreneurs specifically that you can open that give you a tax benefit, meaning they lower your tax bill. The reason I don't recommend starting with those right away is again because once you put money into those accounts, they get kind of locked in. They're not 100% locked in. But if you take the money out for most of those account types, you're going to end up paying a 10% penalty just to take your money out. So if I were to put $10,000 into one of these accounts and then oops, need it out, 
take the 10,000 out. Now the IRS is going to charge me a thousand dollars. Don't love that. So for newer investors, as we're just learning about how it all works, I really recommend starting with a taxable brokerage, especially because entrepreneurs have variable income and variable expenses. So it can feel like the safer place to start as you progress in your investing journey. I recommend like after the 50 K mark, then we can start talking about tax advantage accounts and tax strategy and getting your accountant on board and really getting more into the nitty gritty of the tax strategy. But I recommend starting with a taxable broker. So that's your next kind of like Russian doll. The first Russian doll is your, um, is your brokerage firm. And then you have your account within the brokerage firm. And then inside of that account, you buy your investments. A big mistake most people make is I have a retirement account. I'm investing. They'll put money into the account and they think the account is the investment. Yeah. And ask me Uh, how I know that most people do this. It's because I did this. I did this for two years. (laughs) I had a Roth IRA. I'm like, I'm investing. I have, I'm invested in a Roth IRA and no one told, and it was sitting in what it said settlement fund, $10,000 or whatever. And I was like, great, I have $10,000. It's all the jargon. It's the all jargon. the jargon. They do not make it easy for people. I saw settlement fund, 10000 Great, I'm invested. That sounds fancy or whatever. A couple of years later, I was showing someone and they're like, oh, that's just sitting in cash. And I'm like, oh my God, what? No. So once you have money in the account, then you go and look at their list of offers, right? The mutual funds, the ETFs, the index funds, whatever you want to buy, it doesn't matter. And you pick them and buy them. Then you're invested. So it's like, now we're three layers in, but start by picking a brokerage firm. Don't take more than five minutes. Just yeah. if you already have one from like a previous employer, great, you're done. Open a taxable brokerage, pick an investment. And we could talk about picking investments as well, but um. I'll pause. Yeah, no, I, I'm curious to take on that. And if you recommend like, you know, DIYing or like obviously these robo advisors and different options. But first, I, I think it's interesting that you um, mentioned the not going with the tax advantage account at first. I think it's a really good point because one of the fears people have, and I had this as well, is like I'm investing for retirement and I don't know how all the, the American um, investment accounts work. But here yeah. you can't take out or you're penalized, like you said, for removing retirement funds before a certain age or certain milestones. Yeah. And there's stipulations like you could take it out for like a mortgage on a house. It has to be a house yeah. in Canada because I've looked into this. I was like, what if I buy real estate <laughs> abroad? And they're like, no, you can't do that. Um, so it is a little bit, you know, it can be kind of scary for people to like lock that money away. So I think that's right. a really good point. And I'm curious if you have any other tips or strategies that are specific like to entrepreneurs, like is the investment advice or strategies, like, do you recommend different things for people who are business owners? Because we already have that additional element of risk. Oh, in terms of what you invest in? Yeah. Or just like strategies in general. Like, do you recommend people like everyone starts with a non-tax advantage account, like a, a fee account? First, I should say, I'm not a financial advisor in the sense that in like a licensed financial advisor. So disclaimer, disclaimer. we should have <laughs> the beginning of the episode. <laughs> that being said, I generally recommend the taxable account because of the flexibility that it gives you. Mm-hmm. And I have many, many clients who come to me already with the tax advantage accounts in place. Maybe it's an old tax, you know, an old um, retirement fund from a job that they left that they need to transfer over. So I would say it's not a hard and fast rule, but it is a great starting place if you are already nervous about locking up your money. It's more of, again, like if we take the mindset approach 
what are all the barriers that you have? What are all the fears you have that are keeping you from investing? Because from a strategic perspective, we know mathematically, the longer you're invested in the stock market, the more money you'll make. That is a truth. That is a fact. So if I'm as a coach talking to you about what fears are holding you back from getting started, I know that yes, a tax advantage account will save you money on taxes. And that's a good thing because we like to save money. But if it's going to freak you out and if it's going to make you have to wait for another 12 months to get started investing, it's actually not worth the benefit because of how much money you're going to lose out by waiting. Yeah. So that's what I am solving for. I'm solving for, I know mathematically my clients need time in the market. They have lots of fears. How can we just alleviate those fears and get started? So for some people, they're like, nope, I'm ready to go. I'm fine. I have an extra 50K laying around. Totally lock it up into retirement. We're good. Amazing. Let's get your accountant on board. I have a template, an email template that I give all my clients so, so that they can send it to their accountants and get the specific, specific advice about what type of account to open for their business entity type, blah, 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 all the things. So for someone like that, I'm like, great, let's just get going. We're going to save you on taxes. But if you if you are like hesitating because you're, and I will say this, a lot of people socialized as women, we feel like we need to know everything before we make investing choices. So if we're adding on another layer of legal complexity that the tax advantage accounts have, they're just legally more complicated, then we're going to be delaying your potential return on investment. And it's just not worth it. Yeah. I'd rather just get you started. So that's kind of the more nuanced approach to the answer to that question. Uh, just like ask me how many books I read and <laughs> how many things I did before just putting the money in the account. It's like, I have to be sure. I have to know right. every little detail. And it's like, if I had just put it in there and been like, well, you can put it in there and then you can learn while it's sitting there making money. Like there's nothing stopping yeah. you from going out and getting that information after or like while the, the money is sitting in the account somewhere. And it's why I re I lean so heavily on metaphor in my teaching style, like the Santa sleigh and the Santa's big bag of things. I love it. And when I'm teaching my clients, I use my whiteboard a lot. I do a lot of drawings. I, I do a lot of visual diagrams is because to that point, it's like, yeah, I could spend the next six months explaining all the intricacies to you. I've read irs.gov, which is our tax, tax board. I don't know, whatever they're called, tax agency. I read the laws. Like I'm a total money nerd. And I could sit here and explain to you the difference between long-term capital gains tax and short-term capital gains tax and like how to do the this and the that and the backdoor Roth IRA conversion that's going to save you X percent on your- Yeah, my brain just turned off. I know. We could spend six months doing that. And you're going to be like, wait, 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 backdoor who? <laughs> what is that? How does it work? What about me? What about this? We could spiral for months. Or I could be like, here's a diagram. This is generally how it works. And as you go, you're going to learn more. But what do you need to just get started? I think what people need to just get started is they need to understand like, what is a stock? What am I buying? Where do I buy it? How do I open the account? Like, we just need some basic information. And then you'll learn more as you go.
Yeah. And I would say, you know, to all our entrepreneurs listening to this, think about it. Like when you're starting a business, you don't even know what you don't know. Like you don't know anything. You're just starting. And you, you don't know anything. You know nothing. <laughs> just straight up. I am still, I still have days where I'm like, I know nothing and I have so much to learn. And that's the way you mm-hmm. need to approach investing too, is that it's okay that you don't know everything. You do yeah. not need to have all the answers to move forward. Just like you, you know, we always say like, you know, writing copy and especially like coaches and things like that's such a line in the online business space. It's like, you don't need to know. You don't need to feel 100% ready. You just need to take action. And that's the exact same situation. Well, and here's how I would take that a step further. I would, if to the listener, I would challenge you. And I would ask when you started your business and you didn't know jack shit because I didn't for sure. Did you invest in your business? Oof. Did you invest thousands and thousands of dollars like I did in your business when you didn't know anything? Why did you invest all that money? It's because you had some inkling that probably you had a version of the thoughts I had. Number one, I don't know what I'm doing, but I trust that I'll be able to figure it out. Number two, I know that if I wait any longer, it's just going to take me even longer to figure it out. And number three, like it's, it really was that like, I'm going to figure it out. And, and this is how I need to grow. I need to invest money to grow it. And with your business, right? Your business is a revenue stream in your life. And maybe you have multiple products or offers that are different revenue streams. Your stock market portfolio is also a revenue stream. I want you to think about it like you are buying a revenue stream. The earlier you start buying it, the cheaper it will be. If I want a million dollar portfolio, like I want $1 million to my name, but I want it by next month, then that million dollar portfolio will cost me $1 million probably. Like in order to have a million dollar portfolio next month, I have to have a million dollars cash to buy the portfolio. But let's say I'm 30. Let's say I want a million dollar portfolio by the time I'm 65. So 35 more years. I'm just doing a little bit of math and trying to find the number. That's a much lower than I thought. Wow. Okay. If I'm 30 and I want a million dollar portfolio by the time I'm 65, I would be able to buy that for $30,000 this year. If I had $30,000 right now and I invested in the stock market and then I did nothing else, like I didn't invest any more money, by the time I'm 65, my portfolio would be worth $1,024,352.63. I'm buying a revenue stream. The earlier I buy it, the cheaper it is. Yeah, some people's minds just exploded listening to that. And now I want you to imagine, oh, this is so fun. I do this with my clients. Now I want you to imagine you have a five-year-old and you want to buy them a revenue stream, but you only have $5,000 today. If you have a five-year-old and you buy them a portfolio for $5,000, by the time your five-year-old is 65, their portfolio will be worth $2,125,850.33. You bought $2 million for $5,000. Just like in my business, I buy things to help me grow, even though I have no guarantee that it's actually going to work out. Yeah. And we talk about diversifying revenue all the time, you know, adding in different products, different services. So that if something happens to one of them, not all your income is coming from one place, you would never want to rely on one client. So 
I mean, if you think in terms of your life, your business is one revenue stream. That's why you see it becoming so popular to talk about, yes, real estate investing, other types of investing, all these different things you can do to build wealth outside of your business. Because what happens if one day something happens and you can't work in your business, like you're physically unable to, or you just don't want to anymore. (laughs) Like if you are just done, like I want to, you know, we'll start to wrap up here, but I think a great way to end would be how does investing fit into your exit strategy? Like the end game. I think a lot of people when they hear investment, they're like retirement. Like that's the, (laughs) that's the goal. Yeah. Well, first of all, a wealth portfolio is the ultimate exit strategy. Like I know we can talk about exit strategy in the sense of like, I could sell my business. Maybe. I don't know if I could even like, I might have to position it in a certain way to sell it, or I could get acquired maybe. (laughs) Yeah. And we're like, what does that mean? Do you really want to do that? It's a whole, I'm like, okay, as a coaching company too, like, I don't really know how I'm really that well set up to be acquired or to be bought by someone compared to like a tech company, but you know, the possibilities there, my wealth portfolio though, is generating money for me. Like you said, it's a passive income stream. I showed you guys, or talked about, you know, I've made $37,000 this year in my wealth portfolio. Okay. That's not quite enough to live off of for me yet. It might be for someone. It might've been enough for me to live off of 10 years ago, but I got bougier <laughs> as I got older. Once we get older, we get bougier. I'm going to need a little bit more money, but as an entrepreneur, I love investing my time and my energy back into my company, but it gives me so much peace of mind to know that my portfolio is generating five figures a year for me. And that number is only going to continue to grow. And eventually that number is going to be in the six figures and the multiple six figures. And I will be able to say, okay, I've loved this business. Do I still want to do it? Maybe, maybe not. Or do I just want to slow down? Do I want to pivot, right? I've done my business a certain way. Maybe I want to completely change it and pivot. When I have a portfolio that's generating six figures for me a year, it's easier to make that choice. It's easier to take a risk and say, I'm going to change everything or I'm going to stop. And and I use the analogy, I think this might be helpful for listeners. I want you to imagine there's like a hill, right? And I want you to imagine you're pushing a boulder up a hill. It's very heavy. It's very hard. It's difficult, right? We're pushing it up a hill. When you're investing your first 100 to 150K in the stock market, it can feel like you're pushing a boulder up a hill because you're contributing all the money. And it's like, this thing's not growing that fast. Like, oh, okay, here we go. But once you push the boulder over the hill, what happens? It starts rolling, right? without you pushing it. And then it starts rolling faster and faster and faster. And at a certain point, the boulder is rolling faster than you could even run to catch it. It's rolling so fast, you could not catch up with it if you wanted to. That's what your stock market portfolio is like. At the beginning, you're going to be the primary one moving the needle forward with your contributions, which is, I think, the reason why so many people give up because they're like, this isn't worth it. I could invest 100K in the stock market, or I could invest 100K in my business, and I know the business is going to pay out much faster. So a lot of people give up. But what you don't see is, you know, the entrepreneurs who are 10, 15, 20, 25 years into their businesses, and they're getting tired, and they're like, okay, I've reinvested everything into the business, and it's like, but I'm still the one working it. 
versus the entrepreneur who did the work to build up their portfolio. And now they're 10, 15 years into their business, their portfolio is making 100, 200, 300K a year for them. And they can just be like, all right, peace, bye. Or not peace, bye. Like, actually, I'm, and this is how I feel. I'm so energized. I don't have to work for money, which means I get to work for money. And that just leaves me with what's my purpose here? Like, how can my work be meaningful to me? Even if that means I take a a pay cut, right? And it's a lot more energizing. So I think ultimately, whether you decide to retire or not is actually irrelevant. It's how is your, how is your wealth portfolio outside of your business supporting you and your business so that you can make whatever choice you want to make at any time. And I always say, I joke with my friends. I'm like, you could always get pregnant. If you, you could always get pregnant, <laughs> you could always need a maternity leave. <laughs> I would be a wrench in all the point. Yeah. And it's, I think that's what it comes down to is that it's not about, you know, making more money for the sake of making more money. It's not about just bailing on your business. It's about the choices yeah. that that money gives you. And if you continue to work, you know, for the next like 30 plus years, then that's your choice. You're doing it because you love it and, or you want to bring in more income. You're not reliant on it. And I think that's what all of us, like when we start our businesses is because we didn't want to be reliant on trading your time for money. You don't want to work for someone else. You want that freedom. You want the choices. And this is how you get it. Like real talk. Yes. You know, go create a a digital course. That's great. That's, that's another revenue stream, but the truly passive income in our life, this is what it comes yeah. down to. Yeah. One of the, my favorite things that I say to myself, my favorite, I call it wealthy thoughts. One of my favorite wealthy thoughts is this is the least amount of money I'll ever have. Oh, I like that. Because my portfolio is always growing and it's growing faster than I can contribute to it. So li- like mathematically, this is the least amount of money I'll ever have. I couldn't say the same if I didn't have an investment portfolio. Yeah. Oh, that is so good. Do you have any? I would love to know what are your other wealthy thoughts? Do you have any other favorites? Oh my gosh. Yes. Putting you on the spot here. You can give me like, <laughs> you can give me a few if you want. Yeah. I'm trying to articulate it into a good, um, a good little snippet. Let me pull up my curriculum because I have one in here that I know that is really good. I have an entire seven figure mindset module <laughs> where I go into what we call wealth killing thoughts. And then we, we take the wealth killing thought and we turn it into a wealth like making thought or just like a wealthy thought in general. And so some of the wealth killing thoughts are investing is an expense. I can't afford people have that thought. And my thought is I'm buying a revenue stream. That's going to earn me more money than I could ever earn myself. Again, that kind of goes back to what we talked about earlier. Right. Yeah. My, and my thought is like, you know, on the investing side, I think you can't afford not to be investing like with the way inflation is going, if your money is just sitting there, if you have any amount of savings, it's not keeping up with the rate of inflation, right? So you actually can't afford not to be in some ways. It's that is true. In my experience with my clients who are like, they over, they very much index on like now current time, Mm. like investing for the short term. I don't think that would motivate them very much. (laughs) They'd be like, whatever, I'll just make more money. That's what they'll say, which is Mm -hmm. actually another wealth killing thought, whatever, I'll just make more money that will just keep you stuck in the, I'll just make more money cycle forever, which kind of goes into like, I never want to retire. That's another wealth killing thought. But you don't know what, how are you going to know if you're at 60 and you think you're still going to, you don't know. But my thought is I don't always want to work for money. Oh, sure. I may always want to work, but I don't always want to work for money. Yeah. 
And you don't want to have to do it from a place of like survival, paying your bills. You want to do it because it's meaningful. Right. Like I want to be 60 years old with long flowy white hair with all linen outfit in Greece. And I want to be a potter and I want to continue working and producing work, but I don't want to have to survive on selling my pottery. I'm going to be a multimillionaire making pottery. (laughs) Right. (laughs) I love how specific that vision was. Like you mapped this out. It's very, very specific. I want to actually, this is a little in, in into me. I want to have an artist in residency program in Greece where I host young artists from all around the world. And I, I want to actually be able to pay them a stipend for six months for them to come and be able to create art. And I want to host galas and parties and the whole thing, but I don't want to have to make money off the program. Mm. I just want to offer the program. Yeah. So yeah, I don't ever want to retire. I'm going to keep working, but I just don't want to work for money all the time. Yeah. That's so lovely. And I think that would be a great exercise for people too, is like, what does that look like for you, right? What's your version of the artist residency program? What do you want to be able to do without relying on income from it because that's again it frees you up to do those things that may not generate revenue but are you know fulfilling a passion yeah and if like and thinking about like your 40 year old 50 year old 60 year old 70 year old 80 year old self in all those decades if you didn't have to work for money but you could still work what work would you want to be doing some of that work is going to be income generating potentially and some of it might not be so when you have a portfolio you just get to do all of them all of the above. Versus when you don't have a portfolio, you are stuck having to do income generating work specifically. Yeah. Not fun when you're stuck doing it. Final wealth killing thought is wealth isn't for people like me. Uh, yeah. So common, so common. Even like when I remember I had a client who was like, said that, you know, wealth isn't for people like me. Like I, you're talking about a wealth portfolio, but that's like not for people like me. And I looked at her and I was like, you already have a wealth portfolio. And I mapped it out for her. I'm like, that's your wealth. And she goes, I have a wealth portfolio. I'm like, yeah. So wealth is for people like you. And I think that's like the other wealthy thought that I'll leave you with. It's not mine. It was one of my clients who shared this with me a couple of weeks ago. She goes, the best thing I can be is a wealthy black woman. She said that. She was like, that's like my highest form. I love it. She's like, it's my responsibility to become wealthy. I'm like, ooh. Mm. And if you have a hard time thinking or like, you know, wanting money and investing for your own future, think about the ripple effect you're creating for your community, your family, you know, your kids, if you're, you know, saving for their future, whatever that looks like beyond you, that's, that's one hell of a motivation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what I'll leave you with. Yeah, that is a great thought to to end on here. So Gina, please tell everyone, we've, we've hinted, we've alluded yeah. to the Seven Figure Wealth Mastermind. Please tell everyone about the program and where they can go to find out more and about working with you. Yeah, so I have a six-month mastermind called Seven Figure Wealth where we talk about all of these things. And the purpose of the mastermind is to get you to start creating an income generating portfolio outside of your business. So everything we've talked about today, how to, we talk about everything from like how to pick a brokerage firm all the way up to like tax strategies and some more intense stuff, how to start leveraging debt. We do talk about real estate. If you want to buy a home, especially like buying a home as an entrepreneur can get a little wonky because banks don't like to lend to us as much. So we talk about strategies for getting a mortgage, all of that coupled with deep money mindset work, especially around these wealth killing thoughts and these preconceived notions that we may have about ourselves or people who look like us and our ability to 
build wealth outside of our businesses. Like I said, it's a six month mastermind. It is my pride and joy. It is my baby. I love it. I love coaching on stuff like this. And I always say, I'm the trust fund baby. Your kids will be I love it because I come from, <laughs> I come from a legacy of financial knowledge. Like my parents were very financially savvy and much like yours taught me about investing and the stock market and all of these things. I've also inherited money throughout my life and probably will again. And I feel what it's like to come from a legacy, a financially secure legacy. And I'm like, everybody deserves this. Everybody deserves this. So it's for entrepreneurs. We have a 10K saved requirement. So that kind of alludes to what I spoke about earlier, um, because I just think that's a great starting point. And we enroll twice a year, but the way to find out when we're enrolling next is just to go to our website, www.ginanox.co slash mastermind. And you can find all the information there. We have a wait list. So if you like, if you're listening to this and finding this mastermind in between like cycles, you can join the wait list so you can get um, notified when we open again. But yeah, it's my favorite thing. It's so fun to talk about wealth. <laughs> it really is. And I love that you're using, like you said, you know, your upbringing and financial literacy to serve other people. Because like you said, everyone deserves that. And especially if you're coming from that background or you're trying to break that cycle of generational poverty, I think this yeah. program is so, so powerful. So thank you for creating this. I've never seen anything. I have to tell you as a copywriter who's been in this space, I've seen a lot of masterminds, a lot of coaches, <laughs> a lot of financial coaches. I've never seen a program like this. So Everyone it's, needs to it's go check one it of out. a kind. It's one. <laughs> <laughs> it is. We all like to think that our our programs and our creations are one of a kind, but I think you really are. You really are. Well, oh, you're doing I will it, say, so. like, I don't follow a lot of other money people, so in my head, it is. I'm like, yeah, no one else is doing this. <laughs> That's I'm all sure that there matters. are. <laughs> but they're not doing it like you are, right? That's what matters. So yeah, I am I'm so excited. So yes, the links will be in the show notes. And like Gina said, all the information is on the website. So you can go and check it out there. Gina, thank you so much for today's thank conversation, you. for continuing the conversation from last time. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so fun. Hey, Trailblazer, thank you so much for listening to the show. If you found this episode helpful, would you do me a favor and help spread the word? Share it with a friend, tell your mastermind group, take a screenshot and post it on stories. I'm at copy by Meg on Instagram. If you want to tag me or just come say hi, I would love to hear from you. Until next time, remember, fortune favors the bold, but success favors the stubborn. Keep going, girl. You got this.